So we are in week three of a series called Playlist, where we are just looking at some of the most popular, some of my favorite songs. We're doing four of those, and this is the third week of that. And the reason that the series is called Playlist is because originally the Psalms were written as songs. And so Psalms is kind of like the early hymnal, the church songbook, if you will, of the early church. They would come together and they would sing the Psalms. Now, we're not going to do that today, but we are reading through these Psalms to learn a little more about God, learn a little more uh, about ourselves, all right? And the reason that hopefully you've been enjoying this series, it's been meaning something to you, we've been hearing a lot of great feedback, actually more than normal, uh, is because there's something powerful about the book of Psalms. It is so raw, it's so emotional, it's so honest that when we read it, there is a part of us that just connects to it. And we've said each week that there are 150 psalms, but out of the 150, there are three styles of psalms, three kinds of psalms. I'm going to give these to you again. The first kind is what we would call psalms that are hymns. And these are just general in nature about God. Uh, The the psalm we're going to read today is a psalm that's a hymn. Uh, The second kind of psalm are what we would call psalms of lament. And there are more psalms of lament than any other type of psalms in the Bible. And we just call these the Taylor Swift psalms, all right? These are like the heartbreak, I'm mad about it, somebody broke up with me, I'm, I'm, I'm mad, I'm gonna write about it. That is psalms of lament. And then the third kind of psalms are psalms that are psalms of thanksgiving. And these are specifically about a time when God did something and the author, which is usually King David, but the author, whoever it was, is writing about that time. And so psalms that are hymns, psalms of lament, psalms of thanksgiving, what we've said each week is that that, that the book of psalms and, and these words that are written give all of us who follow Jesus permission to be emotional. You get to be emotional. You don't always have to be happy when you come to God or pray to God or worship God. You don't always have to be full of faith. That These words and these psalms that we read over and over again let us know that there are highs and lows. There are days you're full of faith and days when you're full of doubt, days when you are depressed and days when you are encouraged. And God doesn't expect you to not be emotional. He can handle it, whatever it is. And so we come to him, we pray and we worship with all of our emotion. And that's why the book of Psalms resonates with us so much. And sometimes it can feel like the Bible's outdated or irrelevant. It's not true, but it can feel that way sometimes. But no one has ever accused Psalms of being outdated or, or, you know, not relevant to our lives because there's something about it when we read it that we go, yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. That's what I said, right? And so we connect with God in that way. However we are feeling, we, we come to him. So today we are going to read Psalm 19. The first week we looked at Psalm 139. Last week we looked at Psalm 51. And this week we are looking at Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 is actually a really short Psalm. It's only 14 verses. We're gonna read every verse today. But in those 14 verses is so much truth. Psalm 19 is a psalm about God, specifically about the glory of God. And that, if you're not familiar with that phrase, just think of it like this, that imagine that one day David, King David, woke up and was in an unbelievably great mood. And so he got a pen and a piece of paper and he wrote the most positive, uh, you know, in love, romantic, psalm about God. That, that is what Psalm 19 is at its core. And C.S. Lewis, if you're familiar with that name, C.S. Lewis uh, loved Psalm 19. He, he said this, he said, I take Psalm 19 to be the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. 
Now, I mean, C.S. Lewis usually knew what he was talking about, all right? So, so it is famous, it is moving, and it has been that way for, for thousands of years. I read a story the other day about uh, Lawrence of Arabia after World War I. He, he had, you know, obviously found some fame after the war, and so he made a trip to Paris, and he took with him uh, some of his friends who had never left the desert, and so he, they, they went on kind of a tour and celebration, and they're going on this tour, and, he, and he's showing his friends all around the city, and, and they're seeing all these amazing things, but what they were most impressed by and marveled at while they were there in the city was the water faucets. They had never left the desert, and so this idea that they could just have water on demand was what impressed them most about Paris, right? And so on the day that they were going to leave town, Lawrence of Arabia went into the bathroom to find his friends trying to figure out how to unhook the faucets and take them with them. And, and he said to them, what are you doing? Why are you trying to take the faucets? They said, it is really dry in the desert. We need more faucets, right? <laughs> now, the reason I'm telling you that story is because Psalm 19 is going to remind us today that what we need is more of Jesus, we don't need more religion. We don't need more rules. Sometimes religion is the pipeline by which we meet Jesus, and that's okay. But we don't need more faucets. We need more water. We don't need more rules. We need more of a relationship with Jesus. And Psalm 19 is going to, uh, to remind us of that. And the other reason that, that we're going to talk about Psalm 19 is because it's going to lead us to this place at the end where we can make an invitation to God to, to come into our lives, that we can know him personally and invite him into our lives. We're going to be challenged to view God as more than just a higher power out there somewhere. But we're, we're going to go, I would say it like this, that Psalm 19 is going to help us to go from just looking to God out there somewhere or up there somewhere to inviting him in to a personal, intimate relationship. And I would even go as far as to say that you are probably familiar with Psalm 19, whether you realize it or not, whether you're familiar with church or have much of a religious background, whether you've ever read the Bible before or not, I would be willing to bet that you are probably familiar with Psalm 19. The, the very last verse You've probably heard it. You may have even recited it somewhere in a reading of some kind. And so let me, let's me let just start at the end. We're going to start, go back to the beginning in a second. But let's, we're going to start at the very last verse and read verse 14 together. And tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Psalm 19, verse 14. Here's what it says. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. How many people have ever heard that before? Let me see your hand if you've ever heard that. Anybody ever recited that or repeated that at a ceremony? Yeah, yeah, a lot of us, right? And so I, I, I just want you to know where we're headed, that by the time David gets done going through the first 13 verses, he's going to lead us to 14, an opportunity to say to God, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. That's where he's going to take us. So let's now go back to the very beginning, to the very first verse, and see how we could get to that place 
to say those words, but not just to say them, to, uh, to mean them. All right, so here we go. Psalm 19 is broken up into very, three very distinct sections, verses 1 through 6, verses 7 through 11, verses 12 through 14. Very distinct sections, and so we're going to read each of these sections and, uh, and see what God is trying to teach us today. Here we go. So Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, let's read it together. It says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. How many people know that's a pretty, pretty, uh, a lot of burst? Here we go. It rejoices like a great athlete, eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. So in these first six verses of Psalm 19, David tells us about the creative genius of God. So if you have your sermon guide, grab that and write this down, number one. Write this down, God inspires me. God inspires me. And in its simplest terms, David is, is saying that when you see the beauty of God's creation, you can't help but be moved. You can't. When you look at a beautiful sunset or, or a sunrise, I, there's usually sunset people or sunrise people, right? You either stay up all night or you wake up really early, but usually not both. But you look at a sunset or a sunrise. You watch a child be born. In those moments, you see the creation of God. You can't help but be, help but be moved. You, you see them and something in your heart says there has to be a God. Now, it's interesting this idea that, that you, you would um, have your own copy of the Bible is a very modern idea, a very new idea. It wasn't until the late 1400s, really honestly the early 1500s, when people were able to, to own a personal copy of the Bible. If you were lucky, your whole town would have one copy. And so the only way you could ever hear or know about the Bible is to go to church and then the pastor or the priest would stand up and he would read it to you in Latin. Whether you knew Latin or not, he was going to read it to you in Latin, okay? And so that's all you had, no personal copies of the Bible, no waking up in the morning, cup of coffee, back deck, reading the Bible. There was no concept of that. So if people didn't have a copy of the Bible, how did they know God? How did they connect with God? How did they get to know about him? They looked to the sky. The Bible teaches us that they would look to the sky and that even though they didn't have the Bible, they knew there was a God and they even knew what he was like by looking around at all that he had created. So if you're here today and you're not an introvert and it feels like everybody who loves Jesus is an introvert, you're like, I don't journal. I got 17 journals with like one page in them. Like, I, I don't journal. I don't read all these books. Like, there is a way to know God beyond a book. You can experience him and see him, right? 
And, and that's the way that, that they would do it uh, back then. Let me, let me read you another verse. This is not on your sermon guide, but uh, it's in Romans, going to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was writing in Romans in the first chapter, and he takes this idea and echoes it, but then he takes it a step further. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, check this out, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature just from taking it in, right? So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So so Paul takes it a step further and says that God's creation is so amazing, so captivating, so awe-inspiring, right? That even people who have never heard about God, even people who have never heard teaching about God, know in their hearts that there is a God. Because there has to be a creator responsible for creating all of this, right? And when I read those words uh, in Romans this week, just getting ready for this message, it made me think of one of the hope stories we showed a few months ago. Uh, we showed Bob's hope story. And, and in the hope story, he was, he was telling his story, kind of his journey of faith. And he, he talked about how that through a series of events in his life, he came to the place where he didn't believe there was a God that he would describe himself, he would have described himself as an atheist. I do not believe there's a God. But all that changed when his first daughter was born and he held her and she grabbed his finger. And he said, in that moment, in that moment, I realized there has to be a God. I mean, somebody, this can't be an accident. This cannot be a coincidence. There has to be a God that's what, that's what Paul is saying in Romans 1.20. And we could all probably share similar stories like that. Statistically, 80% of people believe in God. And, and so we probably all have a story of something we experienced or something that we took in or something that we saw and witnessed that moved us that made us stop and go, maybe God is real. Maybe there's a higher power up there. We love to be inspired by God. We love to go to the lake and sit on the boat and just take it all in. Jesus actually liked that too, by the way. We we love to go camping and look at the sky. We love to go on vacation and stare at the ocean and our toes touch the sand. We love to take those weird family photos of everybody wearing white on the beach. We love to do that, right? Come on, be honest. How many people have ever taken that photo? Let me see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two photos that, that, that of your past that will haunt you. The white beach photo and the Gatlinburg gangster gun photo. Come on. Those, those are blackmail material. How, come on. Anybody ever taken the Ga- Gatlinburg? But yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Printing money down there. I don't know. Okay. In those moments when we take all that in, We are being inspired and moved by God, but we're not talking about a personal God. We're we're talking about a higher power type of God, a a God that gives us goosebumps, a God that takes our breath away, a God that impresses us. But even people who don't have a relationship with Jesus can be inspired and impressed by God. 
We can marvel at his greatness and, 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 and really be moved by him, but never have a personal relationship with him. Think of it like this. Imagine you had a friend who, who went on vacation to Los Angeles and bought a ticket to one of those like celebrity bus, house bus tours, you know? And so they got on the bus and they drove, the, the bus drove them to Brad Pitt's neighborhood and, and they're like a thousand feet away from Brad Pitt's house and, and they got binoculars and they see the house and then she, they come home and your friend's like, I know Brad Pitt. You'd be like, you don't know Brad Pitt. You saw his house like a thousand feet away. You didn't even see him. You just saw his house, right? That's what it's like when we only know of God based on something that we see out there somewhere. We don't know him personally. We just see his stuff and his things. And for some of you today, that's where you are in your faith. You believe there's a God, and you've even had moments in your life where, where you've felt him, but you would not say you have a relationship with God. And so God's work is inspiring, but it's not enough to just be inspired by God. David keeps going with this idea and takes us beyond inspiration in the next section of Psalm 19. So let's read that together, verses 7 through 11. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey him. So David, in the first six verses, talks about the inspirational qualities of God. But in the next section, he shows us that God is not just a creator. God is also a teacher. So if you have your sermon, God, write this down. Number two, God instructs me. God inspires me, but he doesn't stop there. God instructs me. The second section of Psalm 19 requires us to move from looking to the sky to feel God to looking to the Bible to know God. It's not just enough to believe that there is a higher power or to be inspired by the, 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 the creation. At some point, we have to get to know the God who created this amazing world. And most people never move into that type of relationship with God. I told you 80% of people believe in God, but the most recent stats would tell us that 25 to 31% of those 80% who believe in God would claim that they have what they would describe as a personal relationship with God. Most people keep God at a distance, but not David. Listen to the way my man talks about the word of God. He, he, is, he is moved he is, he, the more he gets to know about God through the word of God, he's in love. Look at the descriptions he uses to describe. Just in these, he says, uh, he, these revives the soul, brings joy to the heart, pure, true, more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey, a great reward. What he literally means more desirable than gold, that if somebody walked up and said, I'll give you gold bars for your Bible, he'd be like, no, no, it won't do it. That's how he feels about it, right? 
Now, what's crazy about this is when David talks about the Bible and the Word of God, he only had the first five books. When he was writing this, there was no Bible bound together, Old Testament, New Testament. All he had was the first five books. If you know anything about the first five books, Genesis is pretty good. Exodus is interesting, but then you get to, you know, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. That's some tough reading, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you've spent much time in there, but David feels about Leviticus the way some of you feel about your essential oils. I mean, he is moved. He, he is, I mean, there is real passion. You, some, you know what I'm talking about with humidifiers and all that, whatever, diffusers. It's not a humidifier, it's a diffuser. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Here we go. David is moved by this. Because David is not reading the Bible like a textbook. He's reading it like a love letter. He's not checking something off a reading plan list. He is falling in love. I heard John Piper, famous minister, say it like this one time. He said, he said you know, I don't study the Bible uh, as much as I try to smell it. And when I heard that, I thought, well, that's a little freaky. But here's what he meant. I'm, I'm old enough, I'm just old enough on the back end to remember the days when you liked somebody, you would write a love letter, fold it up, and give it to them. How many people are old enough to remember love letters? Come on. How many people are old enough to remember mixtapes? Come on, let me see your hand, mixtapes. I swear, right? <laughs> All for one? Come on. I, no, I'm not exaggerating. I had a mixtape with I swear all the way on one side of the cassette, all the way on the other side of the cassette. If you couldn't fall in love, I swear, you got problems. But anyway, all right, where was I? Okay, yeah, so love letters. You know, back before texting and apps and all that stuff, like if you like somebody, you had to write it out, you know, give it to them. And so what John Piper was saying is, look, when I get a love letter, like I don't get my highlighter out and try to critique the sentence structure. I want to capture the essence of it smell of it, figure out how they feel about me. And so he said, when I go to read the Bible, I'm not, I mean, yeah, there are times we need to study it, to, to scholastically dive into it. And I love to do that as well. But more than anything else, I want to read this book and capture the essence of the way that God feels about me, right? What David is saying is that the Bible was meant to help us fall more in love with God. If God only inspires you, you cannot fall in love with him because you cannot love somebody you don't know. And we don't have time to talk about all the reasons that the Bible is amazing and why you need to read it. I mean, we talk about it all the time. I love it. It's my, one of my, probably my biggest passion spiritually, and we've preached about it a ton. There's tons of podcasts. You can go find those. If you ever want to talk about it, we can talk about it. Like, I love it, okay? So we don't have time to dive, deep dive into all of that, but I do just want to show you real quick, and for the note takers, you're going to be frustrated because I'm going to rapid fire these things. But in these, just in five verses, David lists eight reasons or eight things that the Bible, ways the Bible benefits your life. In five verses, he gives you eight. Let me just show you real quick. Verse seven, refreshes my soul. Verse seven, challenges my mind. Verse eight, makes my heart happy. Verse eight, directs my life. Verse nine, gives me confidence in the future. Verse nine, teaches me truth. Verse 10, makes my life better. Verse 11, it warns me. Just in five verses, he throws out eight nuggets of, of the way that the Bible and the Word of God benefits my life. So David says, God inspires us and God instructs us. 
Now, I do want to just back up for a second and make sure to point out that we need both. What I'm not suggesting is that you go lock yourself in a room and only read the Bible, even though that would still work. I'm not saying that you just need to scholastically, mentally know God. You you need to be inspired by God and you need to know him. If you find your relationship with Christ being lifeless, even though you read the Bible, even though you know the information, you may need to go watch a sunset. You may need to go on a camping trip and take in the, in, the, the invisible qualities of God through nature, to be moved by him again. So I'm not just saying that we put that to the side and grab the Bible. I'm saying that we get to know him, but we also, you know, get to be moved by him. And, and so some of y'all need to skip church one week and, and just go take God in somewhere, Right? But then you don't just want one without the other either. So you don't say, well, I don't go to church and I don't need all that organized stuff because, you know, the, 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 the forest is my God. Okay, well, that's ridiculous, okay? You gotta, have, you gotta have the inspiration of God, but you also need the instruction of God. You're moved by him, but you also get to know him. Does that make sense to everybody? So God inspires us, God instructs us, but then David gives us one more In this next section, let's start at verse 12 and see what he says. He says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So God inspires us, God instructs us, but write this down, number three, God inspects me. God inspects me. It's one thing to believe God exists. It's another thing to try and get to know God. But these last three verses, David takes it one more level by saying that he wants to please God. Look at these phrases he uses. Cleanse me, keep me control me. Psalm 19 progresses from a belief in God to a personal relationship with God. We don't just believe in God with our eyes, and we don't just believe in God with our head, but we believe in God with our heart and our soul. David invites God into his words and into his thought life. It's almost as if we see David progressing through this. It's almost as if David looks up to the sky and says, God, if you can make a sky that looks like that, what could you make with my life? It's almost as if David's sitting out by the water and it's just like this peaceful, like just unbelievable, serene environment. It's almost as if he takes that in and he says, God, if you can create this type of peace, What kind of peace could you create in my life? He takes how he's moved by God and what he knows about God, and he invites God into his life. And I think one of the things that I I love most about Psalm 19 is, is, is because the way that we arrive at verse 14, we, we know, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, maybe you were you had to recite that or quote that or something. 
We know it. We know the words. Depending on your religious background or, you know, the way you were raised or church or whatever it is, maybe somebody tried to show up and to try to get you to buy into verse 14, but they never gave you a chance to buy into verses 1 through 13. Right? Somebody showed up and tried to get you to want to please God before you fell in love with God. So they showed up and said, don't do that, don't do that, you can't do that, you you need to be pleasing to God, don't disappoint God, don't let God down, don't do those types of things, but you, you didn't love him. Why would you have a desire to please God if you don't love God? And just so you know, that is the textbook definition of religion. And we say all the time around here that religion changes what you do, but relationship with Jesus changes what you want to do. And so if somebody showed up and tried to get you to to please God before you loved God, what you begin to pick up was was really that theology is that you need more faucets, not more water. Does that make sense? We want to start at the end and tell people to live their life a certain way to please God, but it never works because you can only have the desire to invite God in and to want to please him. When you take in everything that you know about him and see about him and all of his qualities and go, you're kidding, I get to invite you in? Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me the guy who created all of this and the guy who did all of this, I get to bring him in? I, I get to know him personally? Okay, I'm in but it doesn't work in reverse order. You never fall more in love with God when you start with trying not to let him down. You fall in love with him and then you live your life to please him. And so I love the way that it leads us there. And so David, David says this, David says, when I look around, it's obvious you're God. When I look into your word, it's obvious you are God. And when I look at my life and in my life, it is obvious that you are God. You're God. So this has been my prayer this week for you. And as just knowing we were coming to this moment, my prayer for you has been that you would be courageous enough to ask God. I don't know where you are in your faith. We're all at different places. I get that. But wherever you are, here's what I would love for you to pray. I would love for you to say to God, God, will you reveal yourself to me? Will you show yourself to me? Whether it's through creation, whether it's through a sunset or a sunrise, or a starry sky, will you, will you give me some moments that take my breath away? Or maybe it's not that. It's, God, would you show yourself to me through your word? I'm trying to read this thing, but I don't even, what is this? I don't even know. God, would you show yourself to me through your word? God, would you reveal yourself? And here's what will happen. You just trust me. Here's what will happen. You start asking God to reveal himself and to show himself, and here's what will happen. You'll start seeing him out there. 
you'll start finding them in here. And the next thing you know, even though three years ago you swore you'd never, the next thing you know, you ask him to come in here. And with sincerity, not because anybody's making you, not because you have to, but because you honestly believe you'd be crazy not to, you say to Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you would make that and you would do that, Will you do something in me? Let's pray.